episode 25 of the Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast. Welcome to the Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast, where we show you how to build your business brick by brick. Put on your hard hat and grab your tool belt because you are about to enter the construction zone. And now, here's your host, Christy Hostler. Hi there, localists. Welcome to the Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast. My name is Christy, and I'm your host as always. But I've got a double pleasure today because I have two guys that are here to talk to us about their business. It's a business that they love, and it's probably a business that some of you would love as well. So we've got Russ Gorman and Don Draves with us here today. They are the owners of Corporate Golf Wellness. Now, they started uh, over 15 years ago, and they have been able to take their love of golf into the corporate world and make a business out of it. They've worked with some of the largest corporations in the world, and they've been able to even sustain long-term contracts with these corporations. So Russ and Don have a lot of experience with these large corporations and working with them and getting your foot in the door, and they're here today to share their experience. So welcome, guys. We're so glad to have you and your expertise here on the line. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Christy. Uh, this is Don, and uh, I'm just going to start because my my history is a little bit shorter than Russ's. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> By default, you get to go first. <laughs> yeah, so so um, my background is uh, I was uh, in, worked in the corporate office of Miller Brewing Company, now Miller Coors. And, uh-huh. and while at Miller Coors, um, I had a great uh, exposure to all of the major corporations, especially uh, through some associations I was involved with. Uh, mm-hmm. And so um, I cut my teeth and I spent 30 years in the corporate world. And oh, wow. And worked with all Fortune 500, 100 corporations. So I was involved as a corporate guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then um, I actually retired after 30 years. Oh, wow. Uh, and then with my previous association with Russ, Mm-hmm. And, and our involvement in what we did at Miller, and and I'll probably explain that later. Uh, sure. Yeah. After my retirement, Russ uh, looked me up and said, "You know, I'm. This is what I do, and I knew what he did. He says, uh-huh. I'm thinking about expanding, and uh, you want to hook up and see if we can't do something with this. So that's." That's my short version of my, wow. my personal history. So your corporate ties really have been influential in helping the, get the golf in there as well, I would imagine. Well, my my knowledge of corporations, okay. especially <laughs> large corporations, uh, is helpful. But Russ, with his personality and his involvement in corporations, uh, is really the the leading edge of this. I see. Well, Russ, go ahead and introduce yourself, if you don't mind, and give us a little history of your, you know, anything personally and professionally you think we need to know. Uh, well, I've been around golf my whole life. I uh, I played uh, high school golf, and I co- uh, played college golf. And then I coached college golf for a while. So, Oh, wow. Uh, so I've been around golf for a long time, so that's the easy part. Uh, <laughs> the fun part, right? Yeah, that's the fun part. <laughs> But I decided back when I was a young man uh, and I had some opportunities to get into the golf business that I would not pursue going into the golf business professionally. Uh, mm-hmm. And my major reason for it was at that time I wanted to play golf. I didn't want to work it. Uh, and ah. I felt if I found a good job where I could make decent money, I would be able to play golf and I can't, at that point, I was more of a player than I was a business person. And mm-hmm. So I got into the packaging business and formed a partnership with a, with a guy that uh, we took the company nationally. We became one of the largest in the United States as far as the packaging distributor goes. Um, and I, my territory in the end of my career was the entire United States. Oh, wow. I basically traveled Monday through Friday to California, Philadelphia, Texas, New York, you name it, I was gone. And somewhere towards the end of uh, my 50s in life, Mm -hmm. 
I got sick, and in going to the doctor, it turned out that I had uh, bleeding ulcers. And oh, wow. And basically told me, if you stay in this lifestyle and this career, you'll never retire. Mm. So why don't you go do something you like? And he said, there must be something else you'd like to do. And I said, well, I love golf, and so well, why don't you go into golf? And so I sold out my partnership and got out of the packaging business after all those years. And mm-hmm. all I did was change hats, basically. I decided uh-huh. that I was going to go back to the same corporations that I was doing business with because mm-hmm. I knew people. And right. Use, and use my networking to get in the door. And instead of calling on the engineering department, I'd call on the marketing department. I and see. When I started, I was my my concept was to help companies buy the right products to give away as golf promotions. Uh, okay. Because I knew the golf industry, I knew that in a lot of instances at golf tournaments and things they gave to their customers were outdated, useless. And basically, the person would say, thank you, but then throw it in the basement and never use it. Right. So I felt that I could bring my expertise to it and advise them on types of things they should be buying for the current year. And uh, that's how it basically all got started. So I went back to my Miller Bruins and my Pabst Blue Ribbons and my uh, Johnson Controls and my Pepsis and my Cokes and my other people and just Mm -hmm. really went to the marketing department and uh, started selling products and consulting um, Mm -hmm. for them. Then I got involved at Miller Brewing, which became a big deal, uh, because obviously it's a very large company. Right. And I was basically doing the same thing, and I was working with not only them corporately, but I was working with their distributors uh, and helping the distributors who basically gave away most of this my types of merchandise. To give you an example, in Milwaukee alone, there are 700 bar and tavern golf outings a year. Oh, <laughs> And as the owner of the Miller distributorship in town said to me, Russ, every one of them expects stuff from me to donate to their golf outing free. Yeah. And to make it even worse, they want my salesman to come and play. And then but uh-huh. he plays golf all day and has too much to drink. He's worthless the next day. So he said, I'd rather find good things to give him than give him my salesman because that's ah. much money. Um, but after that, doing that, I, I, I started working with Don Draves, who's obviously sitting right next to me. And mm-hmm. we were working on programs to put mini pro shops in every one of their breweries across the country for the oh, wow. for the employees, so that yeah. the employees would actually be able to get golf products at work, just like if you belong to a country club or went to a golf store. Mm-hmm. Hey, and let me just interject here at Miller. You know, we were very employee oriented, and mm-hmm. so we we had um, dry cleaners right right in our building. I mean, oh. we had a cafeteria. We had a company store. So. If, if you if you came down and you needed a bottle of hairspray or underarm deodorant or mm-hmm. you know a candy bar or a, or a Starbucks, uh, we uh-huh. we had all that. And the idea was to make it as convenient for our employees. So when they left at night, they didn't have to stop at the dry cleaners. They didn't have to right. be here, there, or wherever. So uh, and and we had a great uh, fitness program uh, that I oversaw. And along with many other departments, but mm-hmm. um, so it seemed to make sense at the time. Um, kind of a natural fit. Yeah, kind of a natural fit. And uh, I'll just continue to interject here. So not <laughs> only uh, did we get these mini pro shops set up at all these all the brewery locations, but uh, in the corporate office we uh, started with Russ with golf lessons. Uh, and, and set up a net in our fitness area, and um, uh, we scheduled the golf lessons uh, through Russ so he could handle it. But at, oh, wow. at the time, I told him, look, my hands are so, I have so much on my plate, my hands are so busy. You, if look, We can do this, but you've got to do it. I have mm-hmm. time. So uh, he, he made arrangements to take care of that, and they, the the, our employees, his students, would 
call him direct and set up the schedule for training, and uh, he'd handle all the cash transactions that he did for his uh, lessons directly. And, and it just worked out really great, and our employees loved it. And and uh, and then it it went so good, we expanded it to the breweries. So uh, from the portrait off oh, wow. breweries, and and I'll let Russ take over from here. <laughs> Well, we basically found that there were a couple pitfalls. Number one, at a major corporation like that, they have three shifts. So right, when yeah. I opened it up to all employees, I never thought about the fact that somebody from third shift would call me and want to golf lesson. So one midnight golfing, huh? Yeah, so one night in the middle of a snowstorm, I was walking down State Street with my golf clubs at 11:30 at night to give a guy a golf lesson. <laughs> And I, I think I was swearing at Don Drave saying, now, how did I get myself into this situation? Um, That's so, funny. So I quickly put a stop to that and said, these are the hours that I'll teach. Uh, I, I'm willing to teach the third shift people at 7 o'clock in the morning, but I'm, sure. not, I'm not teaching you at 11 o'clock at night. And right. So we were busy early in the morning. We were busy at lunch hour. We were busy in between uh, uh, first shift and second shift and second shift and third shift. So I, I just made it work so it was reasonable to do it. Mm-hmm. But we got so big that we ended up adding, adding nets and nets and nets and nets and nets. And the neat thing about it is, is that I taught all levels of golfers, but we were pushing through the marketing trying to get new golfers involved. But this was a way to get new golfers involved and learn the game. And I felt that if I if the, the typical work person in today's world had to leave work, get in their car, drive to some place to take a golf lesson, mm-hmm. uh, then they didn't have golf clubs, and they had to borrow golf clubs, and they had to do this, then they had to go home and cook, and then they had to go home and do all this. It just wouldn't work. So I, I Absolutely. We had to take the excuses away, and if we stayed right at their plant, um, Basically, when they finished work, they'd come over to my area. I'd give them a lesson, let them use my golf clubs. If they liked the game, they could continue to do it. And if they didn't like it, they could say, well, I tried it. It just wasn't for me. Uh, mm-hmm. So that that worked really, really well for, you know, for the Miller employees. And the program mm-hmm. became a, a huge success. And we had people from the janitors to the vice presidents taking golf lessons and I would teach their families the game of golf as well. Oh, okay. If a wife or a husband took lessons, I would teach them. But, of course, they couldn't do it at Miller because Mm -hmm. the insurance didn't cover them to come into the plant. Right. So then I would take, I would meet those people away from Miller Brewing. But we did offer it as a family sport or a family activity where I would teach the wife and the kids as well. And that became a a big part of our business. Wow. So whenever people would take these lessons at the corporation, it was the corporation actually paying for the lessons or was it just like a subsidized um, amount that the people were paying for people, the lessons? People were paying me direct, and that's okay. probably the only way it would have worked at, at Miller at the time. Because, uh-huh. as Don said earlier, they were eliminating successful programs that they mm. had if the company had to put the time and the effort in to make the program work. So I see. If I took all responsibility for marketing, I set up the appointments, I collected the money, and I let Miller had to do nothing but just give me the space. I see. It was a viable project. And that's today our game plan is we don't make any of our large companies do anything other than put us in a newsletter, put some you know signs up, Make mm-hmm. the employees know that we're we're here. So it works great because they have nothing they have to do except they gain because their employees say, "What a great program we have at our company! I can right. talk right at my own company." So it's a great benefit, makes the company look good, but the employees also learning a new lifetime activity. Plus, oh well, sure. Plus nowadays too, you know, uh, uh, health and wellness is so. Uh, so popular and and it's in the limelight all the time yeah and many many major corporations now um but through their health and wellness and benefits programs encourage employees to do some activity whether it's Mm -hmm. walk
walking or jogging or using a fitness facility. Some some of them pay for uh, for their membership at a fitness center somewhere, and most most of them now um, require employees to contribute something back to the healthcare insurance. And uh, this is all now done through computers. And so the people at the, you log into your personal health site and uh-huh. and you say, well, okay, I'm going to uh, sign up for the one that says I get I need to walk five miles <laughs> a, a week and uh-huh. get a certain percent off your health care that you contribute, the expense. I see. And, okay. And to add in now another thing, which is golf, well, and and consider it part of the health and wellness, that's mm-hmm. a twist because what would you rather do, uh, uh, walk, jog, um, do aerobics and stair masks, mm-hmm. uh, or <laughs> hit some golf balls? Exactly. I know what my choice would be, definitely. So with these companies, essentially the the employees are paying for the golf lessons, but then the company does a little bit of internal marketing, gives you the space to do the golf lessons, and then as um, a trade-off, the employees are actually getting a discount or some kind of break on their insurance premiums by participating in a wellness program. Is that kind of pretty much how it works? That's a good good analogy. Good analogy. Okay. So let me ask you this. Um, Were most of the people that you're dealing with beginning golfers or were there people that were more advanced? I would say that because of the way I marketed, uh, I marketed as uh, as we're trying to improve the amount of golfers in the country, so the golf industry, which has been suffering for years, can you know can mm-hmm. healthier than they are. So I constantly am pushing for new golfers. Uh, okay. I have a belief that in activities that people do and sports that people play, from juniors to retired people, everybody needs a lifetime sport. You sure. You can't yeah. play baseball all your life. You can't play <laughs> basketball your whole life. You can't play football your whole life. But you, if you're a competitive person, you should learn a sport that you can play from the time you're five years old until you're 85 years old. Absolutely. And everybody ought to learn that. So I promote that. Uh, and I have a different way of promoting it than the PGA of America does, which are only promoting juniors. They're, they're promoting oh, okay. involved in the game. I spend more energy trying to talk to their people who are getting close to retirement than I do to their children because of the fact that, that the, the tangible things that the retired people have is they have money to spend. They are yeah. good, And when they retire, the first thing that you hear from anybody that's retired is, I don't know what to do with my time. I'm, bo- I'm bored. I don't have yes. free Golf takes time, so you have four hours that you can go do something. Uh, you can travel. You can do it with your wife. You can do it with your kids. You can do it with your friends. It's a great, great lifetime activity that is is really important for people to learn, uh, and I think it's the best one in the world, so I promote that a lot. But sure. I would say well, that probably 70% of my students are never hit a golf ball before. Uh huh. And I can imagine that in kind of in their own territory, like you're coming into their space and the plants and the the corporations that you're working in, I would imagine that's probably less intimidating for those people to actually take that step to to go there and get the golf lesson than it would be to pull up at a a golf course somewhere where you know there's certain rules of etiquette and you don't know anything about it and it's just it's a little bit intimidating for those of us that are not great at golf. You are exactly right, and and you know, <laughs> and the the other thing is too that the new students, let's say the first time golfers, they don't have to have all these clubs and bags and shoes and whatever because that's all we we provide all that for them. So again, being a first time golfer, sure works beautiful. Well, and you know, there's a, there's a lot to be said for gaining a little bit of experience, or at least a little having a little bit of actually doing the sport under your belt before you actually go make the investment. I mean, golf clubs aren't cheap. No. Um, 
But there's nothing worse than getting your first set of any sport you go into, getting your first equipment and quickly finding out that it really isn't the equipment that you would have bought if you knew, you know, knew now, then what you know now three months into it or something like that. Because now you're kind of stuck and think, well, I've made the investment. I can't just change right now. So I can imagine that's a huge thing. And and, and they, they have confidence in the teacher because the teacher yeah. is the one that's teaching them. And my job is to have myself and my other teachers across the country make sure that one of the most important things you do is to be able to fit the people for the proper clubs. I mean, this week right. we sold two or three sets of clubs to people, and I didn't sell one standard set of golf clubs that you could have gotten and bought in the store. Wow. I bought two ladies' sets that were short, that were petite, they call them, one-inch short, and I sold mm-hmm. two sets of men's clubs that were one-inch long because the people Oh, wow. So having that expertise to be able to fit the people right and I can tell you that one of the problems the golf industry's got is is that if you go into a typical golf store uh, across the country, mm-hmm. they are going to try to sell you the TaylorMades, the Callaways. Right. And they're going to try to sell you twelve, fifteen hundred dollars of a golf club, and most beginners really don't need to spend more than three or four hundred dollars as long as they can get a starter set that's uh-huh. got all the clubs, got a bag, got a putter. They don't need to make a huge investment, but those people would never bring that up to those people. Uh, oh, sure, so yeah. The first question I ask people is, how much money do you want to spend? Do you want to spend mm-hmm. $300? I've got a set for you. Uh, wow. So we try to do it for the employee, what's right for the employee, sure. not what's right for us. Well, and that gains credibility for you, too, because, I mean, it's one thing for you to, you know, push someone into a $2,000 set of golf clubs. It's another thing for you to say, you know what, for what you're doing and you're going to be like a recreational golfer, these will be completely adequate and, you know, save your money and make the investment later on whenever you've really committed to it. Right. You're you're exactly correct on that. Got to admire that, definitely. So let me ask you this. How did you come up with the concept for your business? I know it kind of um, changed from the the pro shops and the, the kind of thing that you set up where you went with the physical products. But at this point, you now have – you're still doing um, – you're doing the lessons, right, still? Yes. Okay, we do the lessons. You do the um, – also equipment sales and that sort of thing for the people that are taking lessons. Right. And you're still supporting the pro shops and that sort of thing that have been set up um, yep. with product and that sort of thing. So Is the there concept any... just kind of fell into place. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the original concept about helping people find uh, promotional items that the company can use for logos uh, that they can give away is still there. Uh, then helping the employees buy the correct set of golf clubs at the right price and all that type of stuff is still there. And num- the, the missing the, the missing part of the domino effect was the teaching. And mm-hmm. at that point, I only had Miller Brewing that I was doing that to, so that could have been the end of the road there uh, un- until I got a phone call from Johnson Wax, which is – the other largest company in the state of Wisconsin. Oh, sure. And yeah. they're, they're located in Racine, and they asked me to come down because they had heard about our program. Mm-hmm. And would I come down and talk to them? And I went down and talked to them. And they have a facility that is way beyond what Miller Brewing had. I mean, this, this company, because of the way they treat their employees, has their own outdoor driving range. Has their oh, own, wow. Has their own miniature putting course has their own baseball diamonds, tennis courts. It's, I mean, they have a park for the employees. Privately, wow. Privately held company. Yeah, and it's a privately held company <laughs> so people can't complain wow. about what they're spending. But, Absolutely. And they, they presented to me the idea of doing what I did at Miller Brewing to them. And I said, and I turned them down, and I turned them down for a selfish reason because I live an hour away from there. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I said, why do I want to drive an hour down here when I could just go find another big company in Milwaukee and do it there and not have to travel? So right. the guy got back to me, begged me and begged me. I said, well, how many lessons last year did your teacher do? They had a PGA pro that was doing the program. And he looked up the records and he said, well, they gave 40 lessons. Oh, wow. And I said, all right, 
I'll tell you what. I'll try after a year. I can certainly give 40 lessons. Uh, I'll, I'll make the travel, and I'll, I'll make a commitment to it. And so I took my program that Don and I developed at Miller, took the exact same program down to Johnson Wax, and within the first month, I was giving 40 lessons a week. <laughs> so now, not only, and, and it's true today, up to where we are right now, is I now travel to Racine on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Saturdays, four days a week. I drive an hour down there, and at 8 o'clock at night when I finish teaching, I drive home, so I get home at 9 o'clock. Wow. And I said, you know, be careful what you ask for. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, the program exploded. The people just embraced it, where it is by far their most popular program at Johnson. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I guess, you know, even since you started – all those years ago, you have probably seen, I mean, back then, wellness programs were not really in existence. It was, you know, it, it's it's just come about whenever the rising cost of health insurance for these companies have come along and they've started to see that there's more of a focus on preventing illness than just treating the illness. And so I'm sure you've seen a huge lift in your business just because of these wellness programs coming along. Correct. And before, I thought we were the wellness program because I was right. offering something different to the employees because I was trying to get them outside, and I was trying mm-hmm. to get them to do things with their family. Uh, the president of Humana Insurance now has a golf tournament out in Palm Springs called the Humana Challenge, and he made the most interesting comment, I think, in the wellness world uh, in the last couple of years when he asked about the golf tournament in golf and the wellness industry. He said that he thought that wellness was that golf was one of the most important aspects that people could get into in the wellness industry, not because of the physical activity, but because it gave you a chance to do something with your family as a, Mm. and he said, what's lacking in our world today is families doing something together. Sure, absolutely. He thought that was the most important part of golf, is if you can do it with your family and your friends, and people need that in this fast-paced world. Absolutely. And, and, you know, there's just a different pace, and a a stress reduction happens naturally when you're out in nature, you're in a beautiful environment, um, enjoying it. And and that, that helps all of us. And I think, you know, the more we get sucked into this 24-7 world where we're always available, we're always working, I think we're going to have a bounce back to, wait a minute, there's a a bit of a lifestyle I've given up, and I've given up my life in order to be available 24-7. So I do think there is that need to be connected or do family things or quality things with people that are important to you and you're right it doesn't happen at the gym you know you don't go do a family weightlifting night normally or anything like that so at least we never did so anyway i can imagine how again weightlifting is something you couldn't do with your family you couldn't have your exactly and you couldn't have your wife and you can't play tennis together as a family because there's everybody has different skill levels skill sets exactly exactly golf does fit in that avenue really really nicely you know yeah and there's it it also fits in the business really well because you know a lot of business deals are still done out on the golf course and you really see the true personality of the clients or people you are dealing with so um, that's always very important too and you know with teaching golf you get employees on board and they get exposure to certain clients or whatever, you want to make sure that, you know, they at least have an idea which end of the golf club they should hold. (laughs) So they don't embarrass themselves. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Kind of funny to call. What Don is bringing up is that a lot of my companies come to me and say, Russ, I need my employees. My, especially my upper management and middle management to be able to learn to play golf because there are so many golf tournaments with suppliers they could play in mm-hmm. and I, I, they don't play golf. So I need you to teach them to play golf so they can actually sure. go to these activities. So that's a, a regular part of my life uh, mm-hmm. all year long is trying to get their wow. employees ready to be able to represent their company. 
Well, and it makes it it does make perfect sense, especially when you're talking about you know sales reps and other people. You think you don't really think that golf is part of professional development, but my goodness, I guess those guys see it in their pocketbooks whenever they are out on the golf course with clients or can go and represent themselves in the company well, you know, at least at an adequate level and, you know, close the deal. It makes a big difference. Plus, in addition to that, you know, lots of the major corporations do charity golf outings or participate in them. And mm-hmm. that, that's another place where you're representing your company. It could be, you know, some sort of charity event, but you are representing the company you work sure. for who has paid, you know, and donated to this uh, cause and so on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's, if you look at golf from a family perspective, from a health perspective, from a health insurance perspective, from a business perspective, you know, it really touches all the bases. It really does. It kind of the whole checklist has a has a mark in the golf column when you go down through it, looking at all those things. When you compare it to other sports, it's kind of got its unique, you know, unique spin on every single aspect of that. So mm-hmm. you're right. You're probably you're promoting something that can is almost bulletproof in that sense as far as uh, far as sports and wellness goes. Now, whenever you started your business. Did you have any fears about it? I mean, was there anything that you thought maybe I can't do this or deal with big corporations or did you have any normal entrepreneurial type fears? Well, I think that when I was in the regular business world and uh, I had plenty of fears every time I went on a trip, uh, uh-huh. because was the packaging machine going to work? Was it going to be installation <laughs> going to go right? Were they going to throw us out of the company? Uh, right. And I'm sure I saw it on Don's face probably 10 times a week when I was working with him when he was at Miller. And you could just see the stress all over his face because of the way the world we're living in, there is constant stress and fears on every on a daily basis. Sure. Uh, and with golf, I had a different, completely different attitude. I was I knew the sport. I knew what I could do in it. And I had actually no fears of going up to anybody and talking to somebody, teaching somebody from a beginner to a woman to a kid. It, I, I had really no fears about what I was going to do. I just didn't know that it, people would embrace it and say, hey, you got a good idea here. But that was probably my only thing that I wondered about is would it, would it work? Um, but I knew the golf industry uh, pretty well, and I, and I was much more relaxed about that than I ever was about the business world. Yeah, it's it's funny how whenever you you kind of are able to get back into something that you know so well, it does alleviate all the stress, and that your confidence level is different with that too. I, yeah. I can imagine it it changed everything whenever you were. It's like you're you're dealing with with my backyard right now, yeah. and not yours. So. Yeah. Right. yeah. I would, that's, that's, that, that's a pretty good analogy of that because uh, uh, that's kind of how I felt about it. It kind of validates, I was going to say, it probably validated the idea for you very well, too, thinking this is something I'm so comfortable with and it doesn't really even feel like work. So it's got, got a couple of pluses there going for it whenever you think about the packaging and the stress and everything else when you I, compare the two. I can imagine it wasn't much of a comparison. No, no, that's that's right. So after all of your experience in the corporate world, there might be small business owners out there that have a product or a service that they would love to be able to supply a Fortune 500 company with. What advice or what recommendations could you give them to kind of help get your foot in the door in these larger companies? Well, I'm sure Don has a different opinion than I do. I'll I'll, I'll give you mine first and then I'll sure. let you talk I felt as though that when I tried to come up with the concept of what I was trying to do with my with my little company was uh, two things were important. I wanted to be unique in what I did, and I wanted to do something I didn't have 500 competitors all doing the same thing, and then I had to prove who was cheapest or who was the best at it. So right. I would recommend to anybody that when you're doing the marketing of Whatever you're going to do, if you want to get into a large company, you have to be something unique and new, not Mm -hmm. the Me Too, because the Me Too is they have a million of them. Uh, Right. And you can only compete on price so much, you know. Correct. If I went to Miller Brewing and said, I want to sell you golf shirts, 
Trust me, they had 50 <laughs> people that wanted to sell them golf. <laughs> right. But if exactly. I went in there and said I want to teach you golf and give golf lessons, they had nobody doing that. Interesting. So be unique and have a unique proposition with what you're doing. Don, what's your opinion of the best way to get your foot in the door? Well, I, you know, there are some tools out there like um, LinkedIn and, and things mm-hmm. like that, but um, networking is always a great way to get in. Um, and, you know, especially with Fortune 500 companies, they have a lot of employees. Yeah. So, through a lot of employees, someone's going to be in a PTA or a, a local um, association that you might be in. And True. It, if, if you start using your networking capabilities uh, personally and via LinkedIn, um, those are all, all little door openers, but you can't expect to walk in the front door of an, uh, a Fortune 500 company and get an appointment immediately. I mean, mm-hmm. all these things. So the other two things is, number one, have patience. Uh, uh-huh. Number two, uh, do not get discouraged. Mm-hmm. And uh, and just be persistent. But you can't push your way in. You can't bully your way in. Fortune 500 companies are a whole different animal than a typical <laughs> company. Right, Exactly. Well, you know, I was going to say it's like anything. I think even even with like me doing this podcast and finding people with interesting businesses to talk to, um, you know, I don't know all those people personally. That my network is not that big. You know, I'm a small town girl, big, you know, small fish in a big pond. But at the same time, every single person that I know or even that I meet doing these interviews, they know other people. And, you know, that's how I came in contact with you guys. So it's it's interesting that to me it's so much easier to get somewhere when you have somebody that is willing to give you the introduction or give you the name of who you need to contact and say, tell them I sent you or tell them I told you to get in touch with them than it is to just approach it cold and say, Hi, here's who I am and here's what I have and here's what you should, you know, why you should pay attention to me. It just it it tilts the scale so much differently when you have that personal connection. Absolutely. So right. yep. So I would I would I can attest to that. I would definitely say you would it would be a much better use of your time instead of blanket marketing to a bunch of, you know, strangers that you don't know, spend time to build the relationships to try to find those connections within that company. So that's an excellent point. So we'll we'll definitely make sure we lay all this out in the show notes too so people can follow them step by step. But we don't like to focus on the negative or anything, but I'm sure if you're like most business owners along the way, there have been instances where you might have done something or, or had a kind of a failure or a setback in your business that was a valuable lesson to you. Is there anything like that that you guys have come across that you could share? Well, you always have products and again that's why you 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 know you you go about your business by keep looking for what works Uh, right there's nobody in any business situation that is going to it cannot tell you that i thought this was a great idea and it didn't work uh exactly it's just going to happen uh i had great products that i thought that i could take to a company and everybody would love it and it didn't work and I had a program. I said, if I do this this way, this would be a great idea, and it didn't work. So one of the things that I tell my new people, like Scott in Detroit and uh, Kathy in Mississippi and uh, what's-his-name in Ohio and California and stuff like that, is that it, I know you have your own ideas, and I know you're creative, and I know you're smart. Mm-hmm. But try to listen to what I say when I tell you something didn't work. Uh-huh. Because don't go out there and make the same mistake I did and did and right. waste your time. Let's go on things that we know do work. Let's not spend our time trying to create things and reduplicate things that we know don't work. So right. Part of it. Well, is, and I part of it's being a good listener. To be honest with you. True. True. And I was going to say I don't know how many business owners have told me the same thing, that they had this idea of a great product or something that they just knew customers were just going to eat it up and they bring it in and it just is a complete flop and it's it ha- it's universal so in some ways the things that you don't think or the things that you might be more skeptical about people embracing tend to be the ones that turn out better i don't know why that is it would be interesting to see if there's statistics that could back that up but it's weird 
that sometimes your best gut feeling about it is completely wrong yeah, after all your experience. Sometimes when we have those kind of products, we think they're such great ideas that we oversell them and we 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 keep the project going longer than it should go. Right. You should basically after eight or ten presentations and you get a negative response every time, you probably should have ditched it and said, well, I'll try something else. Right. But, but then by that time, you're too emotionally invested in it, and it's you've got your pride on the line. Yeah, so. you're right. And so you keep pushing, and it just gets worse. So. Yeah. So are you guys using any specific marketing strategies right now to grow your business, and what are you doing? Well, we are, we are starting to get very involved with LinkedIn. Uh, because okay. it is a great way to meet people uh, in mm-hmm. You know, just because we happen to be the golf industry, it's I'm I'm my mind is boggled every time I I go to the one of their business sites with and and put in golf networking, golf management. I I mean, there's thousands and thousands and thousands right. and thousands of people, and you go, wow, wow, this is just a little golf industry. I wonder what it's like sure. to IT business or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah. So we do use that, and and of course we've associated ourselves with the biggest need we have in our company is to expand our business and grow it, we have to have more golf teachers. Sure, yeah. So we've, we've, been, uh, we've been aligning ourselves with a company called the United States Golf Teachers Federation in Port St. Lucie, Florida. And okay. They are a, a, a company that teaches people how to become a golf teacher. So they don't, oh, okay. they don't teach you how to become a golf pro and run a pro shop mm-hmm. and run a business. They teach you how to teach the game to of teach. golf. Interesting. And obviously, we need a teacher in every company that we go into, so we, we need teachers. So we're using them and, and following along with their marketing strategies and how they mm-hmm. working with their people. That's a It's a big help to us. That's a Interesting. So there are some associations and that sort of thing that can help create almost like a funnel for your teachers. Well, yeah. that, that, and, and they have twenty five thousand graduates. So, you know, it's a nice pool Oh wow. Nice pool of talent to call on. Sure, definitely. Well it's good that it's good that, that exists but you know, I think probably a lot of industries might have something like that and people just need to, to get in touch and, and get clued in to what all the resources within their industries are because yeah, I know I if you look at the after school programs the after college programs uh, mm-hmm. there's all kinds of courses people are taking after college to improve their standings and to learn more things I mean those places would be great places to go meet people and find people absolutely trying to improve their you know their life Sure, absolutely. Interesting. Now, let me ask you this. For your business, um, what sort of performance metrics or performance indicators are you measuring right now, and why do you feel like those are important? Well, let me just talk to that as Russ and I are looking at each other. You know, we started out and we said, uh, now Russ has been in the business for a long time. Russ and I have right. been a partner for about two years now. And so once we established how we wanted to go, which way we wanted to go. Uh, the first metric we set was, well, we should get 100 uh, golf company clients in the first year. Oh, wow. And that's exactly right. Oh, wow. Well, we <laughs> That's we, a lot. We had our sights set way too high. So <laughs> we, uh, I think after the first year, I think we had... Uh, Oh, maybe fifteen or something like that. So okay. Uh, so you know, uh, so after those metrics were set, it seemed like our uh, business model was evolving mm-hmm. in several different ways, and so we we did not, we basically didn't set any more metrics to check ourselves against. Mm-hmm. So you're still. Um did you reset from the 100 down to a more realistic figure, or you still pushing for the 100? No, no, we reset to a realistic <laughs> figure. <laughs> Can't feel like a failure every year. I was just, you know, I just I, when I look at big numbers, and I think sometimes you 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 think, oh, a number's a uh, uh, a nice even number, and that well, it should be doable, until you break it down and you look and you think that's two a week 
every single week, you know, to get to that goal. And then you start thinking, well, maybe that's a little bit unrealistic. So it is it is good to break it down and see how much you have to get on the weekly, monthly, you know, basis in order to hit that goal. And then you can kind of adjust down from there. So as you look back on your experience having this business and owning this business, are there um, kind of hindsight lessons that you, if you wish you wish you had known then what you know now that you could share with us? Mm. Hindsight. Well, I would say that in, in, in mine, I, I felt, and I think if people were going to do something with large groups of people and try to add a lot of distribution, mm-hmm. I would think the biggest disappointment that I've had in hindsight is that Everybody doesn't have the same passion for what I'm doing. As, as, as you know, they don't have that same passion for the, the concept as I do. Uh, yeah, so it doesn't mean as much to them that yeah, they like to teach golf, but when when the day is over, they go home and they don't think about it much, and that, that tomorrow's another day. They don't really have that passion that that you know. I think it needs to drive it. I I, I look at the golf industry as a whole. And I and I look at the golf pro at the country club, and I look at uh, some of the other people in the industries. And to be honest with you, it's a little disappointing. They're just kind of playing it safe and taking it for granted what they've got. Uh, mm-hmm. They, you know, for me to go out and make this thing work, I had to go out and make it work. I had to go right. out and call on people. I had to get in my car. I had to go <laughs> places. I had to network. I had to do a lot of work to get one customer. And the, sure. the concept that they have is I'll sit here up on my high stool and everybody will come to me because I'm kind of important. And right. if, if I did that, I would never have any customers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, I think you need to have passion and you need to be, you need to want to work at it to, to, to get some, to get success. And I think some people are just kind of, standing by the side of the road waiting for somebody to drop a package off and they're going to become successful, but they're, yeah. they're not willing to work at it. Sure, and that whole um, myth of if you build it, they will come is nothing more than a myth. because it, it is, it's they're myth. You get the greatest golf shop in the world. It, nobody might show up. Yeah, exactly. And I guess from my 2020 hindsight, I would say, and thinking about the people that are listening to your podcast, uh, you know, you need you need a good solid business plan. Uh-huh. And as you start a, uh, let's call it a new business, um, there's lots of things to think about that you you might have missed. But if you try to put together a business plan, you know. You're going to have to get a, a, a business checking account. You're going to uh-huh. build or have to build a website or have someone build a website. Um, you're going to have to figure out if you have a product that you're selling, are you selling it local or are you selling it across the country? You have to shift that. Um, right. There's certain tax implications. Uh, there's so there's lots of uh lots of little things that a person really doesn't think about in mm-hmm. first for a small business and you know everything from your your computer to your printer to file sure. uh, all, all these little things um but if you put it on paper and you do a, a good solid business plan um i i think that would be uh very important for all small businesses yeah, it's those things that kind of suck the fun right out of the business that are so so critical. If you overlook them, you can you can really be costly. So I completely agree. It's those little things that people forget about. You get so focused on the big, the big things and those big items on your business plan, but you, at the same time, you forget about the the infrastructure that might actually run the business. So right. you just you're just excited and you want to take your concept and sure. go. <laughs> The world is waiting for you, exactly. So let me ask you guys this. What is the next step for your business? Uh, I think expansion is probably the, the, the biggest thing. Finding people that want to, that like our concept, that want to do what we want to do. Um, mm-hmm. And don't get into it just to try to make money, but get into it for the right reasons. Sure. To, to try to improve the, the world we're living in. Buy mm-hmm. people some healthy lifestyle choices, 
things that people can do with their family, the wellness activity. Uh, I, I think that we need to find somebody that feels passionate about that type of stuff. So they sure. just don't go through the motions. And I think that's our biggest challenge and is to find one person next and then after that find another person. Yeah, uh, replicate it. So we can get people that understand what we're trying to do because we know the concept works. Uh, right. We have to find the people to make the concept work. Sure, sure. And, you know, the the thing is that adding value first and letting the, the money follow after that is so key for local businesses, you know, because nobody nobody gets into a local business to, you know, to get rich overnight. That's not the path to it, you know, because yeah. it's just crazy. So, um, well, I hope that maybe maybe some people out there hearing this might have a good skill set and might be a good fit and, you know, might end up being – someone that we need to get in touch with you. So we'll definitely be looking at that. Um, as parting piece of wisdom you guys would share to any newer business owner or business owner that's kind of coming along after the point at which you are right now, uh, what piece of advice would you give them for running their business? Well, I would find a hot spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, First of all, I would find a hot spot. Thank you for listening to the Brick and Mortar Reporter Podcast, where we build businesses all day long with no permits. Remember, local businesses are the backbone of our economy. So, whenever you have the opportunity, choose local. And uh, what's going on in the business world and with the insurance companies and everything, wellness is here to stay. I mean, I think companies are going to have to get involved in wellness programs that maintain them, not for one year, but probably forever and ever and ever. Right. I would say that if somebody's looking for something that, find a hot button that you can fit into, uh, wellness certainly would be a terrific opportunity for somebody today. Mm -hmm. And then if you're going to do that, don't become a me too Try to find something right. different that makes separates you from everybody else. Say, come over here and ride your bikes with me. We all know sure. now that there's too many of those places. I mean, sure. they're, they're going out of business around here because mm -hmm. they can't all exist. But find something unique and, and and fit into you know something that's a hot topic today is a, would would be great advice for anybody. I think. Absolutely. Something else to think about, too, is uh, the demographics. You know, we have, mm -hmm. as the baby boomers continue to, to go, sure. um, their lifestyles are changing. So uh, you, you find a business that addresses something like that, and it could be a lot of fun. Uh, as, ah. as, you know, um, in the Hispanic communities, there's lots of things that, you know, uh, you, you could do and and they would enjoy and you would enjoy and mm -hmm. and then you know there's also the young people coming in that have their noses in their iPhones and iPads yeah it's unique <laughs> to find something that um, grabs them and uh, I don't know I, I want to say makes them whole again but uh, uh huh fills the void or he fills fills the hole sometimes yes yes. But you do have to address them because they're a big part of our society. I mean, I absolutely you told me 40 years ago that kids today would be choosing to have two jobs and not have children so they can have, you know, BMWs and fancy yes. and go on vacations and that children wouldn't be a part of their life, that they're choosing not to have children and that people wouldn't play sports outdoors, that they would stay inside and and hmm. to the computers or a phone, I would have told you you're out of your mind. I mean, yeah. it doesn't happen. <laughs> but they are a part of our world today, and they are making the world hard to deal with because every there's not enough in the business world today, as far as I'm concerned. There's not sure. enough one-on-one -on -one communication where you Absolutely. meet and you're talking to and build a relationship with them that, you know, you know just send me a text, send me an email. Mm. You never get yeah. to know anything about the person. Uh, exactly. I, th I think that's missing. And we were talking just the other day about how do we address this young golfer that says golf takes too long, four hours is too long, it's not <laughs> enough fun, it's boring. And I said, you know, it may be that you got to come up with a really neat nine-hole golf course. Maybe it's all par threes. 
and maybe you yeah. have a cocktail bar on every tee, and <laughs> you have some loud music, and you have places where they can plug their phones uh-huh. in. They can play golf in an hour, have a couple margaritas, and yeah. and say, that, that was really a lot of fun. I played golf. That's funny. Can you imagine having them check in on Facebook at every tee or something yeah, like that? Right. I mean, it's, but maybe that's what it's going to take to get some yeah. to get involved in you know in a, in this type of uh, an activity. Uh, to, to be able to do it. But I think if they well, grow up and they get into the real business world, they're going to find out that golf does have some in, innate things that they really need, like meeting very sure. influential people and going Absolutely. to a very fancy country club and yeah. going around where there's big executives and big money. That That's not going away. Exactly. exactly. Golf can get you there where playing soccer can't. Yes, you're exactly right. There, there's a whole different opportunity that presents itself when you can meet people on a golf course than you, you can anywhere else, you know. So I definitely agree with that. And I like, I'm like you, I don't think it's going to go away, but I do think there's going to be a, a gulf or a chasm developing between those people that can navigate, you know, between the young, the generations with that. So I think you have to address it in your in your business plan because that's what's out there. Yeah, exactly. That's the environment. So build the business they to buy the environment. With credit cards, no cash. Nobody has. Sure. Cash. If you have to ask them for five dollars, they don't have five dollars. No, hadn't seen a five dollar bill since. <laughs> exactly. Holy mackerel! How do you get around without more cash? Exactly. It's true. It's funny. Well, you guys have been absolutely a ball to talk to today. And one of the things that I like to do, because you have been generous in sharing with us, is I like to give you an opportunity to promote anything you would like to about your business to our listener base. And the thing is, people will be listening to this when it goes live. But at the same time, as people find us and they begin to download episode after episode, we'll have this out there. And so people can continue to to find you over the course of the next year or even longer. And so I wanted to give you an opportunity to promote anything about your business that our listeners might be interested in. Well, I think first, I, I think we should just uh, give you our website. That's a good sure. place. All right. Absolutely. Where can we find you on the web? It is www.corporategolfwellness.net. Perfect. I will make sure I link up to that in the show notes. Now, do you guys use social media or have any kind of Facebook page or anything like that? Well, we we do. Um, we do have a Facebook page. It's uh, under Corporate okay. Golf Wellness. Under Corporate Golf, corporate golf Wellness? Yeah. Okay. So what I'll do is I'll definitely link up to these um, the show notes that I always do for every one of these podcasts, I link up to your website so people can find you directly in the show notes while they're listening to this podcast and also on your Facebook page. And then I'm sure on your website there, um, if people are interested in joining up with doing what you're doing um, as far as the teaching and trying as you're trying to find people, I'm sure there's a place on there they can probably find yeah. that who they need to contact, right? Yes, right. and I think that as long as they understand that the public understands, even for their own personal uses that that you know I've looked at this thing really hard I, there is not a better wellness activity anywhere in the world than golf mm-hmm. uh, it, it's a lifetime sport that you can find that you can play as a, as a young person as an adult as, mm-hmm. teacher, as a retired person and I think that is a key to our to to our existence is Getting people to understand that you need to find and learn a lifetime activity that sure. you can do your whole life, and I think that's really important. I think I think you're exactly right, and there's probably not a more enjoyable environment that you can be in than a beautiful golf course with you know scenic views and uh, just you know it, it's just a very tranquil place most of the time. When it, any of the golf courses I've ever visited have just almost been breathtaking with the the way they situate them. You know, you are getting the whole aesthetic there whenever you're out on the golf course, which is different than being, you know, cooped up in a bowling alley or, you know, any other place that you would be. So it does kind of get to your your soul as well. So I definitely agree with that. Well, we will make sure people can be linked up and uh, find you guys online. And again, I can't thank you enough for really just getting together and taking the time to talk to me today and share your business and your best tips for anyone else that's looking to kind of follow the type of business model that you guys have. It's been an absolute pleasure. Okay. Well, it was great talking to you. 
Localist, I need your help. If you've appreciated this podcast today, I need you to go to iTunes, leave a rating, leave a review, tell us what you think about the podcast. It is so important for us to expand our reach to be able to have those iTunes ratings and reviews. That way, other people can find us much easier whenever they're looking for things about local brick and mortar businesses. So go to iTunes, leave us a review, leave us a rating. You cannot imagine how important it is to us. You can find show notes to everything we discussed in this podcast on our website. So go there. It's www.brickandmortarreporter.com. You can see all the links to anything we discussed. And also you can leave us any comments or any questions that you have. It's the best way to get in touch with us. 